Bold City Longsword presents the Swords and Stereo Podcast. Thoughts podcast and say hello to everybody. Hello to everyone. Yeah, I had uh, I had you on a couple of months ago on my show. Right, yeah, right when all the COVID started. <laughs> yeah, you were. I think you were the last pre-COVID interview I did. <laughs> I found your podcast, even though you generally have traditional and Eastern martial artists on. You have had a lot of HEMA guests on, too. Uh, how'd that happen? So, uh, well, if I go back to the reason I started doing a podcast in general, uh, it's basically just because it gave me an excuse to talk to all the people I really just wanted to talk to anyway. So uh, I started researching local people in, in Florida, actually, down in South Florida. And there was a guy who did classical fencing down there. And I was, just became fascinated with the idea of what that was. So I had always, I had gone to all the Renaissance fairs. I played D&D as a kid, you know, so I, that had always been in my head and I had seen the SCA, but it was like, yeah, that's not, that's not quite martial arts in my head. So once I finally saw someone doing classical fencing, I'm like, oh, oh, there is something here. And that kind of brought in the idea of, you know, what HEMA could be, what it was, what it was becoming at the time. So I think that was five Six years ago now? Something like that? Yeah, it's crazy how fast it is growing. I I am, every year, every month, I'm getting more people reaching out to me. And it, it's, it blows my mind. Especially right now, during COVID, I'm still getting people calling me like every other week. So, I'm stuck in my house. I want to whack something with a sword. <laughs> pretty much. So, with your core audience... Being Eastern martial arts, how have they reacted to the HEMA people and the HEMA guests? It's it, it's interesting. I think they, I think it, it's actually gone more the other way, because I have HEMA guests on there. I've it's more likely that HEMA people have come to listen to my show than that. That was the case with me, for yeah. sure. <laughs> exactly. Um, it, it got to a point where, you know, it, again, when I was learning about what HEMA was. I didn't know that there were the original manuals. You know, I, I was in that same boat with everyone else. I'm like, wait a minute, we do have this version of everything? So it got to the point in my head, it's like, well, why why should this not be considered a martial art? And I thought about it, and I couldn't come up with a real reason. So then I decided just to lump it in with everybody else that I'm talking to. And uh, to the point where I've done, uh, well, this year we did virtual, but last year and this year I did Combat Con. So they're mainly HEMA. With other bits and pieces of stuff in there. And I'm, I don't know, I guess I'm trying to bring in the, the Japanese sword into it. It's mainly swords is what I'm interested in. So. <laughs> yeah, that's that's fair. I mean, you, no matter which art you're, which, which art you're training, you can pick up any sword and apply those principles. Um, last night I stopped at Sword Carolina. Mm-hmm. I did. Rotella and side sword. I had never done that before. And I was just like, I took what I already knew and applied it and I didn't embarrass myself. And it was a great feeling, you know, 
Um, but speaking of HEMA people coming to your podcast, yeah, I've I've found a lot of awesome stuff through your podcast mm. as far as your book recommendations. I just binge listened to a thousands of exits podcast mm. the other day. Yeah, yeah. And I remember when they were on your podcast, they asked about the HEMA stuff, which made me all happy. <laughs> like I was like, Yeah, other people care. And <laughs> Yeah, it's um my goal is honestly just to show that there's more similarities than differences. Now the differences are fun. That's always the good, you know, fun stuff to explore. You know, why is it that with a long sword you do it this way and a rapier you don't, you know, or, you know, with a katana you do it this way and they don't do it that way with a long sword. You know, it's both two-handed swords, what's the difference of it? Is there is there something technologically different or is it just technique difference? You know, well, there's a lot to just unpack in the differences. I can also see it where like it's just we, we probably do very similar drills, mm-hmm. and we just explain the purpose and technique differently to the student. Yeah. it. I think the biggest... So one of the problems with any martial artist is, is saying, what is a martial art? You know, what is a martial arts system? You know, Bruce Lee is famous for saying that, you know, we shouldn't have martial arts systems. And I've come to the opposite conclusion. The whole purpose of the system is to narrow a focus and provide a teaching aspect of it. Um, I was just listening to uh, your la- uh, one of your episodes where you went through and kind of broke down the curriculum idea of how that works. And I thought that was brilliant. I think every martial artist or martial arts school owner should listen to that. <laughs> oh, th- thank you. Oh. Um, so when, with your podcast, how did you come to that overall, your overall tone? Like the, the, the interview, like it's almost like a late night talk show interview. (laughs) Um, well, originally it was, uh, me and a couple of friends sitting around at the dojo afterwards, just talking. And then I, I got to the idea. It's like, well, this was, um, again, this was about five or six years ago now. I said, well, we should just start a podcast on this. We had actually started one and then it died off because of, in 2005 because of all the hurricane seasons we could never find power (laughs) so we waited a while and then about five years after that we said i said well i'm just gonna start one why don't you guys just show up with microphones and they did and it was a lot of fun and then after i don't know probably about six months after that i moved up here and because i didn't have anyone else to talk to i just decided to do interviews and it was again it's it's an excuse for me to internet stalk and talk to people that I want to talk to anyway. You know, I, you can see the bookshelf there. There's authors that I talk to because I want to ask them questions about their book anyway. Yeah. I haven't got that brave yet. <laughs> yeah. You'd be surprised. Uh, what I found is that authors have something to say in the first place. That's why they wrote a book on it. Yeah. So they kind of want to talk about this stuff. Plus they want people to know the book exists. Exactly. Uh, I know they probably do an initial publicity run, but I've never met an author like a, like I used to freelance D and D, and they'll they they would still be pimping books they wrote ten years ago. Like, oh, you haven't heard of this? You should ch- mm-hmm. totally check this out. And mm-hmm. I was like, That's, okay, <laughs> this is Redbox. What are you talking about? <laughs> uh, it's that was the feel I wanted for our podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, there's there's a couple other HEMA podcasts, but I feel like they're they're very much they're trying to properly teach their audience things, and and me and Luke me and Lucas is just like 
well, me, I'm, I'm like, it should be fun. Mm-hmm. And, and we would we would hang out afterwards and just have these conversations. And I was like, this is good stuff. People need to hear this. Uh, even at our own school, like some people got to get up and go to work the next morning. So we're sitting there till 10 at night, you know, expanding our minds. And these poor people had to go home because they're responsible adults. <laughs> You'd be surprised how that is common in more places than you would think. It doesn't matter the system. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's, again, that's how our podcast started is this is the stuff we just talk about anyway, you know. Say, what would happen if you had, you know, four ninjas in a tunnel and you had to fight your way out, you know? <laughs> well, you, you, don't, you don't have to be scared of four ninjas. You don't have to be scared of one ninja. Four ninjas, those are moots. One ninja. Then when they move together, yeah, it, they just become minions. <laughs> what art, martial art do you study? Okay, so currently I'm studying Namiru Aikiheho, which is a Japanese martial art. It's mainly a, it's one of those words, you know, semantic types. There's a a term called kodru, which is old school, basically is what it translates as. These were martial arts that were created, developed before 1868, before the Meiji Restoration in Japan, and they started to modernize. Ours is, (laughs) the system is a direct descendant of a kodru. So it isn't a kodru itself, but we have all the kodru ideas... And they're allowed to adapt to modern uh, technology. So we do, you know, like an original Koru would never do anything with firearms. We do. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so it's a Japanese swordsmanship school with uh, Aikijutsu in, in included in it as well. But based on the way you framed your sentence, you have studied other stuff in the past as well. <laughs> yeah, I've, um, I started actually when I was at University of Florida. Um, I studied, I, I was lucky to uh, find a, a traditional Japanese system there as well. <laughs> at the time, uh, I decided somewhere in, high, in college, I wanted to learn how to use swords. And my... 1996 high, just out of high school brain decided that if I was going to use swords I was going to use the best sword ever I was going to use the katana <laughs> <laughs> granted there might have been some Highlander influence in there somewhere but <laughs> yeah, pop culture did its job on that one <laughs> yes exactly uh, um, so there by chance there happened to be a guy that was teaching uh, a traditional Japanese sword system there so I studied that while I was at University of Florida. I studied that for about three or four years, kind of off and on while studies would allow. Uh, then I went back home to South Florida, and I studied their version of Kenjutsu, Aikido, and Jiu-Jitsu, all as one system. And then uh, once I moved up here, I had kind of had a choice of, do I want to... I kind of had a three-way choice. It's do I want to start something completely new... Do I want to look for the same thing that I've been doing and try to get better at that? Or do I want to start teaching myself? You know, because at that point I'd been, you know, doing Aikido for 15 years or so at that point. Um, so I actually took about a year of Penjak Silat, which is Indonesian. All right. <laughs> and well, What is that? What does that entail? It's... 
So the best way I ever heard it described is if uh, someone did Wing Chun with an Aikido mindset. Okay. So it's a lot of close-up inward movements, but a lot of it is very soft and letting the person move themselves. And it's almost all with the intentions of having a blade in your hand or they have a blade in their hand. Okay. Yeah, see, that that's I was actually wanting to bring that up because... Mm. In uh, one of your recent episodes, you're, you're talking about Aikido, and it made me think of, you know, especially with my HEMA mindset, mm-hmm. you were talking about your drills, you're simulating at least one person is holding a weapon. And most people don't, when they think of Aikido, they they think of some weird alien Brazilian jiu-jitsu, which is not... <laughs> And, and you made that point. It's like no, the reason everyone thinks bad about Aikido is because they they they're they're not visualizing what it actually is. They're they're thinking of something else. I think I think some of uh, the Aikido's problem was it the politics of after World War II. Uh, there was a period where it wasn't quite sure if martial arts were banned in Japan by the American uh, occupying forces. So. Like, I know, uh, specifically, uh, kendo was. So the swords, uh, they said, nope, that's too martial, you can't do that. And everyone's like, well, what about judo and aikido? And they're like, eh. Judo's like, hey, we're a sport. We're, we don't qualify as a martial arts. They're like, okay, you can do judo. I think Osensei for aikido said, no, no, look at us. We're this loving, peaceful, flowing art. It's all about self-betterment and exercise. And they're like, yeah, okay, you can do that too. <laughs> I, I think... That's where some of that idea came from, uh, but it's really intended to be armed arts. You know, you're someone's trying to attack you armed, or you're armed and trying to keep your weapon. And then the rest of it is honestly about keeping distance. It's not about grappling. It's about, I don't want to grapple. I don't want to, you know, enjoy fisticuffs with you. I want to get away. That is my entire goal, is to stay at a distance farther than you can attack me at. So, what weapons are part of the system? So, it's one of those weird things. Um, Officially, in all the Aikido curriculum, there are no weapons. But, every single Aikido school I've seen (laughs) teaches a version of a Japanese sword, a a Joe staff, and a knife, a tanto. Are there no weapons because of the post-World War II... Like, like, yeah, look, we're peaceful. We don't even have weapons here. (laughs) I don't know. It could be... um, (laughs) <laughs> it could be one of those things where um, they don't like Aikido does a lot of weird things where they're you know on their knees they're kneeling and doing techniques well if someone asked a sensei he says well why do we do it like that he says well because it takes up less mat space <laughs> alright fair so, enough so it could be you know it's like we couldn't afford to get the weapons to train with so uh, we're just gonna do pretend this is a knife you know <laughs> well the, you know and then <laughs> Practicality at, over everything else, I guess. Looking at it again from a HEMA standpoint, is that we mostly train one on one, like weapon versus like weapon. Mm-hmm. It, it, rarely is it. I have I have a long sword. You have a dagger. Uh, not only that would suck for the dagger guy. It would. It would not be good. I think Fiore actually has some place for that, like mm-hmm. how to survive to get close enough to either grapple or how to survive to run away. Um, you definitely don't want to stay there and fight. Yeah, I could see Fiore writing about that. <laughs> but, I mean, in the overall HEMA community, you don't see it often. You definitely don't see, like, mixed weapon tournaments are, are 
rare. And when they are, when they do have them, it's almost like a spectacle event after the actual tournament. Yeah. Uh, I've even been to, uh, we did a meetup in Florida, like in 2018, where you drew what weapon you had out of a hat. And <laughs> yes, spear. One, one guy had to fight with like two bucklers, you know, but, but then again, it's like, but no one took it seriously. It was just a fun thing, right. you know. Um, so here, here's a difference on that one, though, is when we use the term martial art, it's a really wide encompassing thing. Even with armed martial arts, you know, when you somebody's got a weapon, there's still a couple of different divisions you can make. Dueling is its own separate thing. Um, like this, like the sword system I do, you can tell it was mainly developed after there was no battlefields anymore, mm-hmm. uh, because a lot of it is anti-assassination techniques, or you know, the guy's got the draw on you. What do you do now? You know, it's that type of thing. So that's more dueling. That's more like this is a prearranged or it's an anti-assassination technique. So that's that's kind of like what you're talking about is, um, you know, Meyer and all those, they're kind of assuming duels. They're assuming that, every, you know, you know, we're meeting at the hill at dawn type of thing. We both have agreed upon weapons. So that's a very, very different realm than anything to do with uh, self-defense. Yeah, I, I take Krav Maga as well. Exactly. Yeah. And like they... They, they've built in things for like, all right, scan for multiple attackers, uh, you know, look for exits, mm-hmm. all that stuff that if, if you're doing HEMA, like if that book was written for self-defense purposes at the time, it's weird that that stuff's not in there. Yeah, it's even in, even a lot of martial arts that, you know, we have today that claim they teach self-defense, they'll they'll barely play like lip service to make sure you see your surroundings. Well, what does that mean? Do we have drills for that? How do we practice that? You know, talk the guy down. Well, again, what does that mean? Matt, yeah, uh, Matthew Cougar goes over this like every other podcast. He's like, look up your local laws. Don't, don't get arrested. Um, don't be stupid. But at my crop center, they... They yell, like, keep it, your head on a swivel, like, because you're, you're going to get tunnel vision. Mm-hmm. And I I had never thought of that. Like, well, <laughs> now, now they've told me so many times that I immediately, like, as part of the drill, as part of the, the withdrawal part, like, I'm, you, that you have to swivel and you have to swivel your head and your whole body to look around. Well, it helps that, you know, Hema, you got the mask on, you're kind of tunnel visioned anyway. Yeah. But think about if in, if you're doing a HEMA match and suddenly, you know, the guy's friend from the other side of the ring comes out and stabs you. Yeah. That would be an interesting way to try and practice that. Um, yeah. So I think a lot of reasons stuff like that's not trained is there's there's no practical use for me to fight multiple people with my longsword in a, in a modern <laughs> sense. Um, and they don't have, not until the zombie apocalypse, yeah, damn it. We, I've seen some videos on the internet where like people were like, one man with spear guards doorway against three longsword practice. That stuff, <laughs> it looks so fun. But how much can you devote time to that type of thing? Um, it, it, especially especially if you're like at a tournament-oriented mm-hmm. school. Because that's, that's a night you could have been training for your tournament. Sure. And, and again, that depends on what your goal for your martial art is. I think 
uh, in a lot of ways, I think HEMA is a good model in general because they they flat out tell you, this is what we're trying to do. You know, we're trying to take this stuff from the 13, 14, 1500s, and we're trying to use it in a tournament setting. That's it. We're not trying to say it's self-defense. We're not trying to say that you'll be the king of the battlefield. You know, we have a very limited focus, and this is what we're doing with it. And look, we can show that we can accomplish what it is we're doing as well. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of martial arts in general aren't able to accomplish what they say they can do. My personal goal is for my, to make my wife realize how geeky I am a little bit more every year. <laughs> and every year I have to up the ante. You, you see the Ninja Turtles up there. Yeah. I mean... <laughs> You have been recently doing online classes that are sword-related, or so the rumor says. I, I did. Uh, yeah, we have our, our local group here, but because of you know our, our lovely pandemic that we have, we can't meet in, perp- in uh, person. Uh, part of it was we were meeting at a school, and the school shut down. That makes total sense. Yeah. So we were trying to do some stuff online, and... <laughs> it's funny because you know it, it it's exactly what you expect it's like okay let's do this technique okay everyone do it and then what you see is the guy get really close to the screen so you can see <laughs> try and see the details of what you're doing it's it's more about maintaining the practice i think than yeah just setting the time yeah for, make giving people a reason to set aside time to train yeah i, I don't want to go backwards <laughs> What what were you teaching? Well, I, I was uh, taking classes um, from our local group here. Oh, okay. I'm I'm missing I'm missing. I did Combat Con. We where I did a virtual like lesson for that. That's what I'm thinking about. Okay that yeah. that was uh, that was more lecture series. Okay. That was um, an introduction to samurai history for all the Hema people. So just like there's a lot of misunderstandings about you know medieval knights and their tools and armor, I wanted to kind of go over the. Uh, the misunderstandings about samurai and who they were and what their tools were for. Did, was there a good turnout? I think they said there was something like a hundred people all together. You oh. know, between they, if you ever gone to combat con, it's freaking awesome. First of all, I want to go. It, it it it's of all the places to sell my wife. Vegas <laughs> Vegas is an easy sell. Yeah, the problem for me is <laughs> it's always the weekend right before the first day of school, and I'm a high school teacher. So I got a, like last year when I actually flew there, I flew, I skipped out on the Friday's meetings. Uh, so I left Thursday night. I went Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and then got back at like two in the morning on sun, on Monday. And then had to teach that first day. Right then. <laughs> but it was worth it. Just jet lagged. And yeah. Sword lashed. And, yeah. <laughs> um, how, uh, how, how does that feel uh, with Combat Con letting in non-HEMA stuff? How's that environment like? I uh, I didn't have any pushback or anything like that. Uh, a friend of mine, Chris Hine, was doing kind of why Aikido works the way it does classes. And again, you know, there's probably about six or seven classes going on all the time continuously. So you have to make a choice on, you know, which classes you want to go to. And there was usually about 10 or 15 people in each each of his Aikido sessions. There was, I last year when I did in person, I did uh, martial arts and podcasts. And there was probably about 10 or 15 people in there with that. Um, I don't know. It's just a cool place. Um, I was li- <laughs> I was sitting down waiting for um, uh, Anthony Delongis to talk. 
Uh, if you if you don't know who he is, he's the guy who basically retaught Indiana Jones how to use his whip for the last movie. Okay. Really big name whip person, Hollywood actor. He's been in a lot of things if you look him up on IMDb. So I was waiting to hear uh, uh, something about him. And I was sitting there talking with a friend of mine and he goes, hey, Scott, come down and talk to us. And turn, I started talking to this guy for a while. He's got a, a whip across his, you know, like he's listening to the whip guy too. And it turns out uh, he was the guy who had double whips in Underworld. He was one of the... <laughs> yeah, I remember that scene. Yeah, but I'm like, I'm like, holy shit, you know. <laughs> he looked really cool and then he died. Yeah. <laughs> but he was a stuntman and a whip guy. And, and I'm just sitting there having a conversation. And, you know, he's talking about when he was in Underworld. And I'm like... Oh, then the little light bulb goes off. But, you know, they they can hide amongst them, <laughs> us common folk there. So you, you you plan on going back? I If I can, if they'll let me, I'll come back every year. Awesome. It, it I would encourage everyone to go there. Um, there's so much cool stuff. It's, it's a comic book convention for swords and martial arts. It's awesome. So how how do you think people from the Eastern martial arts look at HEMA tournaments? Because at the, at the tournaments? Because I I, I think I I, think I wrote in and asked you this question like two years ago for your one hundredth episode. Mm-hmm. But like HEMA's gotten way bigger since then, and I think there's more eyes on it. Mm-hmm. And um, I know there's other martial arts that do weapons, but don't necessarily have a sparring culture. Right. And like, I would love, I would love for those people to start showing up at team tournaments. I, I always wonder that too, you know, if you could have, you know, uh, whatever, a, a 13th century Chinese warrior versus a log sword or, you know, something like that and kind of mix up the cultures. Uh, I think we would see, you know, some of the really obvious things would make more of a difference, you know, like reach, you know, yeah, yeah, <laughs> stuff like that. But yeah, there would have to, there would have to be parameters. And sure. Stuff. Uh, I I don't know if I can speak for everyone, but I appreciate again that HEMA puts its money where its mouth is. You know, they're saying they can do these things. Well, let's see if they actually work. A lot of Eastern martial arts say, "Well, we know it can work because somebody did it a hundred years ago this way." Okay. Well. I've never done it. Yeah, <laughs> I have to at least see it work once. We we had um, actually uh, Kevin Alford who does five ancestor five ancestor fist kung fu. Mm-hmm. We used to share space with him. I interviewed him. Uh, I think that episode would, will probably drop before this one. Um, he he fought with a Dao, which is very similar to our Messer, mm-hmm. and he just started coming to Messer class to get some. Math time in basically, you know, um, and I was like, more uh, more people should do this. Yeah, I like Messer. Messer's dirty fighting. <laughs> it, it is a lot of fun. Um, I w- there's not a lot of Messer tournaments right now, mm. but um, it'd be hard because it'd be like half grappling too. Yep. Yeah. So like the the one the one Messer tournament I did partake in. We were on basketball floors, and they said no, no trips, no throws. And I was like, "Well, ah, okay." So well, now it's machete fighting. Well, basically. yeah, uh, Myers Dusak. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so you have trained Hema. I, I've dabbled in it occasionally. We have um, there's actually a really good group of uh, it's called Hema Nashville. 
Uh, they actually run it through the adult education centers, the way that they uh, get the space and everything. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. yeah. I, I, oh, I've ran into them yeah, yeah, yeah. at Atlanta. Yeah, yeah. 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 They also train out of Russellville High School. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, you know, I still keep in contact with them a little bit, but I, I took their, you know, beginning, I think it was just called beginning longsword class. So I've done that, uh, again, at Combat Con. I took a little bit with uh, some medieval wrestling, medieval uh, wrestling with Dagger, a little bit of Messer. So, you know, just enough that when I read some of the stuff, I can understand what it is they're talking about. I, I my, my plans are not to get into any tournaments, but just so I know enough to know enough. Or know enough to know I don't know enough, maybe is a better way to say it. <laughs> what, moving forward with your podcast... Is do you have any more plans? Maybe Hema focused any stuff. My my listeners might want to go over there and check out in the future. Um, I'm always open to talk to anybody. Uh, if if they've got a good story about martial arts, I want to talk to them. Um, like I said, I I've stopped making a distinction between where the martial arts is from. You know, it it in my head it doesn't make any difference. I just had um uh. Uh, Damon Stith on who does African martial arts. Yeah, that's a really good episode. So it's it's more interesting to me to talk to, you know, and no offense to him, but, you know, this could be the 43rd guy I've talked to who did karate, or it could be someone who does you know, some Indian spear work from just the tip of Sri Lanka or, you know, something weird like that. That's more interesting to me. Yeah, I was talking to Aaron Schober last night, and he is currently studying from a, a fetch book they found in Germany, mm. and it's the it's the it's the two volumes, and the first volume's missing. We haven't found it yet, <laughs> of course. And, and, and so, like, this is all the weird stuff after the basics. And it he was showing me some of it, and it was just like, oh, I've never thought about it that way. And it's after the the rapier becomes dominant, but it's longsword stuff. So they are thinking about it in a new mindset hmm. because this it's not the most prevalent weapon anymore. Right. And they have all this different under, point heavy understanding. And uh, it was, it was just, Oh, this is so cool. I've, I never had thought about it this way, even though I've had people throwing HEMA books at me for five years now, <laughs> you know? Uh, and he just pulled it up on, on Wittenhauer. I was like, here, look at this. The art was so cool. The dudes were all calves and biceps. Cause they, <laughs> it was like, oh, that's the most German thing I've ever seen. I think there's I think there's an interesting phenomenon if you look at, you know, where the martial arts from and why people would choose that. You know, it used to be that it was, you know, the for lack of a better term, the secrets of the Orient, you know, the the secret Japanese wrestling or, you know, mystical karate or, you know, whatever it happened to be, you know, Taoist Kung Fu. But then all of a sudden people are looking at it going, well, yeah, but I'm 80% German um, and they've got guys that are doing German longsword. Well, that's a little bit closer to me, you know. I think there could be a more of a cultural connection with the HEMA, well, at least in the U.S. Well, then, you know, we also have the internet now. So mm-hmm. before the internet, it was all about... Uh, come to my school and you'll learn the secrets the other school can't teach you. Well, now it's all on the internet. You can't keep nothing a secret. All right. It's been, everything's been on the internet for 30 years now. So you, now you just have to be good. Yeah. It's more like, hey, look at this new way I found to do the same thing we've been doing. Do you have anything? Uh, anything, uh, books? 
that you've been reading lately? Um, in terms of Japanese swordsmanship, uh, I don't have it right here, but uh, Legacies of the Sword by Dr. Carl Friday. Anything by him is actually really good academically. Um, he's he's one of the few people that takes a really serious academic look at, at Japanese martial arts, at least in English. I'm sure there's you know somebody in Japanese that's writing on it too, but um, I don't think what else I've been reading recently. Most of it are kind of weird books that are martial arts adjacent rather than martial arts books themselves. Um, I just talked to a, a, a woman who used martial arts to basically help her gain enough courage or confidence or whatever you want to say to get out of abusive relationship, you know, stuff like that, where it is martial arts, but it's not the purpose of the book. So it's kind of an interesting thing. I, I, I always talk about how martial arts is like a gateway drug, you know, by reading about the martial arts of, you know, 14th century Germany. Well, now you have to look at what 14th century Germany was like, you know, why were they fighting? How were they fighting? You know, what, what were the clothes like that they were wearing? You know, that brings up a lot more about the techniques than, than anything else. I, uh, I recently read the Art of Peace book y'all were talking about. Mm. Well, uh, when the Thousand Exits guys was on. And that book was a little weird. <laughs> <laughs> That's the one by Osensei, by Ueshiba? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He was also a... Without being discouraged, you know disreputable to him um he was kind of a religious nut at the same time like he and a group of his fellow um i forget the name of the exact sect but it was a shinto sect uh they invaded china one day like you do (laughs) like you do yeah uh of course you know the chinese kind of rounded up the 50 people uh they were gonna go they literally cross over in the boat and kind of established a beachhead and said okay this is our part of china and China's like, yeah, I don't think so. <laughs> so, you know, they were uh, the way the story goes is they were literally like set up in front of the executioner, you know, the the firing squad. <laughs> and then the Chinese the the Japanese government went, no, no, those are our people. You got to give them back. Oh. <laughs> that was that was nice of them. Yeah, they they had to think about it for a while, but <laughs> do uh speaking of books, do are there any old manuals? That, like, what's the oldest manual you've read from the Japanese? So, that's one of the weird things is that they're just now really starting to get translated into English. Um, and a lot of times they're they're so poetic. They're not really meant to be manuscripts. They're meant to be a reminder of all the techniques. So, you know, uh, you know the, the example, the Chinese example is, you know, dragon sweeps its, its tail, you know. Well, unless you have any clue what that means, it it's nonsense. You know, the the falling peony cut, you know, and you're like, I, I have no idea. Are they pretty <laughs> void of art, or...? <laughs> Ironically, um, uh, there was a, a really interesting guy who was trying to take one of the more famous uh, Japanese manuscripts and use it as a comparison between that and um, Fiore and see if you could actually distinguish from the pictures what they were trying to show you. So the pictures are... I don't want to say they're like worse than the, the, the medieval European ones, but they're not as detailed. Or at least the details don't stand out to our eyes as much. Yeah. You know, it it's hard to tell, especially in some of the paintings, if, if the foot placement is where it's supposed to be, or is that the way they drew all the art? 
you know, I'm not familiar enough with Japanese art styles to be able to tell you, hey, that looks unusual. I should pay attention to that. Well, some some of these European manuals, I mean, <laughs> there's a big difference between Wallerstein and, and Meyer, you know. Yeah. And there's a couple of them where it's like, how does he have two left hands, you know? Yes, exactly. <laughs> like, oh, the thumbs on the others. Okay, that's my problem. <laughs> um, well, as, as we're wrapping this up, why don't you send people toward your podcast? Okay. Um, it's called Martial Thoughts Podcast. It's on iTunes and Stitcher and probably all the normal stuff. That's the easiest way to get through it is, well, it's not called iTunes, but it's uh, Apple Podcasts now. I think you can still look up iTunes. Um, I'm behind, but you can kind of look at the show notes on thinkingmarshall.blogspot.com. But that's where I kind of keep all the, the written bits of everything we do. Yeah, and um, that's a good place. You can find HEMA people mm-hmm. on there. and uh, Yeah, there's a list of kind of like all the past interviews that I've done. And you can see, you know, recognize what they do and who they are. Yeah, you've had some you've had some pretty cool guests on that. Like uh, Richard Marston was on there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I got to see him at... Uh, it, it, the cool thing about Combat Con, too, is you get to see the people that write all the books. You know, and then, so like he was at that one. So I actually sat in one of his lectures about Polish Saber. It was awesome. I got him to sign the Polish Saber book while yeah. I was there. <laughs> All right, man. Well, this has been awesome. Cool. Um, we'll have to do this again next time I'm driving through. Yeah, anytime. You're welcome, man. Awesome. All right, everybody. We're out. This episode of Swords and Stereo was produced by Final Plank Media Productions. Theme song for Swords and Stereo is Thunderer by Professor Agma. Check him out too. To find out more about Bold City Longsword, visit their website at jacksonvillehema.com. To find more Final Plank Media produced podcasts, visit finalplank.com. Or visit us at Final Plank on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thanks for listening.